0: Lord God, um, you are good, Lord. We are we are so thankful that you are just kind and merciful. Um, that you apply that kindness um, by your your sovereignty to your people, Lord, to save, to sanctify, um, ultimately to to glorify, Lord, um, to glorify you. To, to make us into your likeness. And God, I, I do pray that you would encourage us this morning um, by what you say about yourself from your word. Um, help us to fix our eyes on you this morning. Um, and, and we pray that, that this time in your word would just bear fruit in, in our lives, Lord, it, that it would bear fruit as we care for those closest to us and our families. As we care for those in the body, God, we we do pray that you would that you would be glorified in Gilbert Bible Church, um, that you would be glorified in Gilbert um, and in this world. God, we are so thankful that that you are sovereign, that your hand um, is mighty, and and that you that you use your sovereignty to care for your people. Lord, I I pray that you would be glorified this morning in Christ's name. Amen. So this this morning we're going to do the attributes of God, part two. Um, and I get to make another appeal to you, to you men, to study the attributes of God. Um, you could pick up and read a, a well-written book about theology; that that would be beneficial. Uh, but my real appeal to you is is that you would over and over and over again come back to the Word of God to get the God of the Word. Um, my my prayer has been and, and is that that would not grow old to us. Uh, we get to open up this book and meet with God. Uh, we get to know him and, and even find that we are known by him. Um, we get to see his trustworthiness, um, and we should take note of what is true of God. Um, this morning, I want to just put in front of you, the same quote that w- that we saw last time that we talk about all the time from Tozer. What comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Uh, why should we study the attributes of God? Again, um, let t- just turn really quick to Galatians chapter four. Galatians chapter four. We're going to be in verse four. Um, here, here's a reason—definitely not the only reason—but a reason we should study the attributes of God. Paul here is making an appeal to the Galatians. He's reminding them how the gospel that saved, um, how the gospel saved them. He's reminding them of their new place in Christ. He's reminding them of the danger of their old ways. Um, which were much like the ways of the Judaizers who who were presently at this time teaching the Galatians that they needed to obey certain customs in order to make themselves right with God, just like we've been reading about in Philippians. So let's start in Galatians 4, verse 4. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Verse six, because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Verse eight, however, at that time, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those which by nature are no gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by him, how is it that you turn back again to the weak and worthless elemental things to which you desire to be enslaved all over again? In, in this appeal um, from Paul, we're reminded that the believer is saved by what God did from what men love to do. Um, we love to establish a righteousness of our own through what we've done. That's that's the default setting. And the believer is saved to be a son and an heir. Before the believer knew God, he was a slave to things that are no gods. And the believer is said now to know God, to know God, and even more importantly, to be known by God. Um And here's the motivation for studying the attributes of God, for for coming to God's word to meet with him, to know better the God of the word. Knowing God and being known by God. Believer, you were a slave to things that were not him. And now you've been adopted by him to know him and be known by him. Uh, We should desire to fix our eyes on, on the one who has saved us. Um, The one who has made us sons. Uh, We should desire to glorify him by seeking to know him and be known by him. Um, The simple definition of an attribute that I gave you guys last time, what I mean when I say an attribute of God is this is something that scripture says is true or is characteristic of God. An attribute is, is something that scripture says is true of God. Today, we're going to focus in on one truth about God, um, and it's a central, overarching, one of the most pervasive truths in Scripture, the sovereignty of God. God is sovereign. Uh, That means simply God reigns. He rules over everything. God rules over all. Uh, The quotes there, we'll, we'll read together. God's dominion is total. He wills as he chooses and carries out all that he wills. None can stay his hand or thwart his plans, says Packer. God is sovereign, says Bruce Ware, and his sovereignty is both exhaustive, covering the whole sweep of history, And meticulous, every detail is planned and regulated. God is sovereign over everything. He rules over all. So what falls under the category of everything? Um, How far does God's rule extend? What does all mean? Uh, When we say God is sovereign, he rules over all. We mean absolutely everything. Everything. Um, I like how Bruce Ware said God's will is both exhaustive and meticulous. His authority is over history as a whole, and it's over every single detail. Um, the list we're going to look at, while, while God's word just talks about sovereignty over and over and over and over again, the list we're going to look at here is by no means exhaustive. Um there are so many specific passages in God's word that point to this truth, this attribute. God is in control, and so much of scripture points to that fact. But, but hopefully this does help us appreciate the weight of, of what scripture says um, and helps us to, to trust in him more. Um, for a lot of these categories in, in the list we're about to walk through, there are examples of God's sovereignty in the Old Testament, Jesus's authority in the New Testament, which is right in line with God's sovereignty in the Old Testament, and um, how God will exercise similar authority in the future. Um, So, God rules. What does he rule over? Um, the, The first one there for you is his creation. In Genesis 1, God exercised his complete control when he spoke commands and things that didn't even exist obeyed him and came into into being. Um, Let there be light. And there was light. God created the heavens and the earth. And by the time we get to chapter two, the heavens and the earth and all of their hosts, everything in them were completed. God made everything. Everything is under God's rule. That's a, that's a central truth in scripture. that that so many times when God's authority is, is talked about points back to, he is the maker of everything. Everything belongs to him. Everything is owned by him. He is sovereign over all. Uh, last week in Exodus 7 to 10, our children learned about the, God's mighty deeds in Egypt. Um, these mighty deeds were displays of God's sovereignty over his own creation why why did god do these mighty deeds uh, that displayed his power over over creation listen listen to what god told his people through moses in chapter 6 verse 6 he said i am the lord i am yahweh and i will bring you out from under the burdens of the egyptians and i will deliver you from their bondage i will also redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments then I will take you for my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am Yahweh your God, who brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. God made His people know Him; they they got to see His mighty hand and know that He was their God because of His His control over creation. Um, in chapter seven, verse four, He says something similar to the Egyptians. Uh, about the Egyptians. When Pharaoh does not listen to you, he says, then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring out my hosts, my people, the sons of Israel from the land of Egypt by great judgments. The Egyptians shall know that I am Yahweh when I stretch out my hand on Egypt and bring out the sons of Israel from their midst. That phrase is repeated over and over again in in this, this big passage you will know that I am Yahweh, that you may know that there is no one like Yahweh your God. Um, God makes a distinction between Israel and Egypt. In order that, you may know that I, Yahweh, am in the midst of the land. And it goes on and on. God reveals that he is in control of his creation and his people um, knowing him the Egyptians even, knowing him, knowing this control over God's creation brings God glory. In Luke chapter 8 we see Jesus has authority over creation. He rebuked the wind and the waves and the wind and the waves stopped. The disciples, and some of them were pretty familiar with wind and waves, the disciples are fearful and amazed saying, Who then is this, that he commands even the wind and the water, and they obey him? Jesus is sovereign over his creation. In Revelation, we see God's authority over his creation on full display um, there, when this heaven and earth will pass away just at his presence. And then his new heaven and earth will come. God is sovereign over his creation. He's also sovereign over his earthly creatures. Um, God has power not just over creation as a whole, as if that were a little thing. Not just over simple inanimate things like light and wind and water. But he also has control, exercises his rule over earthly creatures things that have life in them. Genesis 2, verse 19, um, is a a passage that you you guys know probably really well, but, but you might not have thought about the immensity of God's power on display here. God exercised his control over his earthly creatures when all of the cattle, all of the beasts of the field, all of the birds of the sky... When, when he not only just made them, but he brought them all to Adam so that Adam could name them. That, that's impressive power. <laughs> it, it's hard for us to go find animals. <laughs> Some of us know better than others. <laughs> um, God exercised his control over creatures that were alive when he brought them all to Adam to be named. Kind by kind by kind, that that's impressive power, and and I think that's the same power that's on display when when God's word in ch- chapter seven says animals went into the ark to Noah, um, two by two, every every kind went to Noah just as God had commanded Noah. Go ahead and turn to Psalm fifty with me. This is another passage that's well known to us, but God's word, starting in verse 7, says, Hear, O my people, and I will speak. O Israel, I will testify against you. I am God, your God. I do not reprove you for your sacrifices or your burnt offerings, and your burnt offerings are continually before me. That's not the problem. I shall take no young bull out of your house, nor male goats out of your folds. Why? For every beast of the field is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird of the mountains and everything that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine as well as its fullness. Shall I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of male goats? Of course not. Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and pay your vows to the Most High. Call upon me in the day of distress. I shall rescue you, and you will glorify me. Everything here is his. He is over everything. So you people who are also his, God God tells Israel through Psalm 50, don't be mistaken. You actually can't give him anything. So be thankful. Call upon him, the psalmist says. Be rescued by him and honor him. Everything belongs to God. God, God is sovereign over his creation. He's sovereign over his earthly creatures. Um, he exercises that rule and he's sovereign over his heavenly creatures. All throughout scripture, starting in Genesis, angels are sent, and they obey, and they go. Nehemiah 9.6 says, You alone are, are Yahweh. You have made the heavens, the heaven of heavens, with all their host, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. You give life to all of them, and the heavenly host bows down before you. That this is, this is true throughout all of Scripture, heavenly beings worship Yahweh; they serve Him. Revelation 19: These spiritual beings who appear worshipable to, to men—they are so great. They call themselves fellow servants of God. They obey God. Um, in Matthew chapter 4 there, they serve Jesus also. They, they minister to Jesus. God is sovereign over his heavenly creatures. And he's so- sovereign even over fallen spiritual creatures. Um, fallen spiritual creatures exist. And so they are under the sovereignty of God. God's sovereign hand is over them as well. We see this in Job 1 and 2. Um, in Yahweh's presence, God himself twice says to Satan, um, the ad- adversary, Have you considered my servant Job? Um, God is the one who's putting Job on display here. God hears Satan's requests, and he is the one who gives. First, Job's things, and second, Job himself, um, into Satan's hand. Both times, in in Job 1 and 2, Satan could not go beyond what God had sovereignly said Satan could do. Satan was under the sovereign hand of God in the book of Job. Even as he acts. Jesus too has authority over fallen spiritual creatures in Matthew 4 we see Jesus um, led up to be tempted by the devil he listens he is tempted without sinning in the wilderness and then at the end of that passage he commands Satan go and Satan leaves um, Luke 4 is one of the one of the many examples of um, of Jesus demonstrating his authority over demons. They, they just obey him. They fear him. They tremble before him. They, they listen to his instructions and obey. In Revelation 20, the, the culmination of God's rule, his command, his authority over these fallen spiritual creatures will be seen when Satan is bound for a thousand years. Um, and then when he is finally thrown into the lake of fire where his judgment will be forever and ever. God is sovereign over his earthly creatures, his heavenly creatures, um, his fallen spiritual creatures, um, and he is sovereign over the nations. Go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 11. Genesis chapter 11. We're going to look at at verse three. Yeah. 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 I, I think that that is not based on Scripture, ultimately. Um, it, yeah, it's interesting. Even that, that last passage I just talked about, Satan is under God the judge and, and will be judged. Um, Satan is not the judge. He, he is against God's people. He is the adversary. He is... Um, the one who goes about accusing, <laughs> who, who's trying to to cast blame on God's people, but he's he's not the judge, ultimately, and and I think, yeah, there, there's wrong views about who God is and who Satan is. There's there's not a duality, in 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 this world. Like God is sovereign; he's just he's over everything, um, and that's that's what Scripture says. Do you, does anybody else have any? to add to that Josh or Tom Matt yeah the offense wasn't against him yeah cool so Genesis 11 verse 3 Um, I I just want to see here the nations don't exist because they wanted to exist people groups were divided by the mighty hand of God. Even from the beginning, God is sovereign over the nations. In Genesis 11, spreading out, being divided, was actually the last thing that people wanted. Um, but God's desire is what mattered. L- listen to the people's desire here in Genesis 11:3. They say, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they used brick for stone and they used tar for mortar. And they said, come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach into heaven. And let us make for ourselves a name. Otherwise, we will be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. And be obedient to Genesis nine one, where God says, "Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth." But the Lord said, "Behold, they are one people, and they all have the same language." And this, and this is what they began to do. And now, consequently, consequently, now nothing that which they purpose to do will be impossible for them. And God says, "Come." let us go down, let us go down and confuse their language so that they will not understand one another's speech. So Yahweh scattered them abroad from there over the face of the whole earth and they stopped building the city. Therefore its name was called Babel because there the Lord, Yahweh, confused their lang- the language of the whole earth and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the whole earth. The, the people wanted to be together and make a name for themselves. Um, and God, in his sovereignty, made the nations, scattered them. In Isaiah, we see that nations obey God and are tools in, the, in his hand. Um, those very nations that accomplish God's purpose are still are also accountable to God for their sinful actions. Um, Their sinful thoughts and actions there in Isaiah are judged by God. In Acts 17, Paul describes God's sovereignty over the nations. Um, He describes God's current declaration that all men are to repent, all men are to obey God and, and repent to, um, from their sins and God's fixed judgment over the world. Um, each of these show God's authority. He, he had authority and he used it. He displayed that authority, that rule when he put the nations where he put them, when he put them. He, he displayed his authority by commanding them to repent now in the gospel to believe in Jesus and he and he will display his authority when he judges them. He he is the judge. Um, then in Revelation 19 we see finally how how Jesus will establish his rule over the nations, his rod of iron. He'll he'll rule them with a rod of iron. God is sovereign. He exercises his rule over nations. He exercises his rule over individuals also. God is sovereign over nations, and he is also sovereign over individual people. Go ahead and and turn to Acts chapter 2, flipping all over here. (laughs) The book of Acts chapter 2, we're going to be in verse 22 and 23. This, this is a passage we looked at for communion recently. This is Peter speaking on the day of Pentecost. Um, and this is what he says. He says, Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus, the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs, which God did through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know this man, Jesus delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. Again, God's sovereignty is all over this passage. You nailed to a cross by the hands of lawless men and put him to death. What is the worst possible thing that could have happened in, in all of history? It did happen. Jesus, the perfect son of God, was crucified he was nailed to a Roman cross to die as a sinner. Um, and as, as we read Peter's words here, God himself sovereignly planned this. He sovereignly carried it out. How? By the hands of sinful men. God himself planned the crucif- crucifixion of Jesus and they nailed him to a cross. Those things just exist together. God is sovereign and, and people did what was right in their own eyes. Even in this most horrible act, God brought about good. His glory, his people's salvation. Um, we can trust the sovereign one who, who didn't even withhold his son. God is sovereign over nations. He's sovereign over individuals. Um, he is even sovereign over the hearts of individuals. Even the hardness of hearts of individuals. Um, again, the, the kids in children's ministry last week learned about this. Exodus 7 to 11. Um, in chapter seven, verse three, God says that he will harden Pharaoh's heart. And then f- through chapter 11, there are 14 more references to Pharaoh's heart being hardened or Pharaoh's heart being hard. God hardened his heart, and Pharaoh hardened his heart. Um, God, in his sovereignty, did as he desired with Pharaoh, and Pharaoh, in his stubbornness, did as he desired and was accountable for his actions. Um, God was sovereign over even the hardness of Pharaoh's heart. Listen to John 12, 37 through 40. But though he, Jesus, had performed so many signs before them, yet they were not believing in him. Why? This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet, which he spoke. Lord, who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this reason, they could not believe. For Isaiah said again, he has blinded their eyes. and he hardened their heart so that they would not see with their eyes and perceive with their heart and be converted, and I heal them. God is sovereign even over the hardness of men's heart, and and men doing what they desire are accountable before God's sovereign rule. God is also sovereign over his people's salvation. God wants his people to know that his favor is unbound to anything outside of his will. When God passed by Moses on the mountain, he declared in Exodus 33, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. I will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. Do you hear God's sovereignty on display here? No one influences him. He does as he wills and he shows compassion because he desires to. Isaiah 43 says that God is the one who will save Israel. He will save his people. Um, Ephesians 1 and 2, just just listen to, to how many times God is the one acting. God is the one planning. God is the one carrying out His salvation. Um, And believers benefit from His sovereign grace towards us. Let's listen to these statements from Ephesians 1. He blessed us. He chose us. He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the kind intention of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, which He freely bestowed. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. He made known according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him. Salvation is all about what God has done for his people. Um, this description of salvation goes on and on and on um, to God's glory. In chapter 2, it's it's spelled out from kind of from the other angle. Um, we didn't deserve to be saved, and we could not do anything to be saved. Those who, who are believers now were under, were dead in, in transgressions and sins. But God, verse 5, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. God raised us up with him, and he seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Why? So that in the ages to come, he might still be active. He might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. And God was the one acting in salvation. He was the one with his, applying his sovereign hand to the good of his people, um, raising them to life, giving them life in him. And he isn't done. That That's like the most incredible verse to me. Why? So that he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus in the future. How... How could there possibly be more kindness to show to us? Um, Well, he will. Why? For grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves either. It is the gift of God. God is sovereign. He rules over the salvation of his people. Salvation from the wrath we deserve and to the favor that we don't deserve is all from God. God. God has applied his sovereignty in his people's salvation. Um, His sovereignty is over his people's lives also. Um, His people which he made will praise him, is what Isaiah 43 says. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, so that we would walk in them, and over and over and over and over, in God's word, God's people call Him Lord. They call Him Master. Those who have been saved by Him are under His lordship. Um, we must obey. All all of creation obeys Him. We, we are commanded to obey him. We must obey. And now believers want to obey and can obey. Believers now get to live in accordance with that lordship that God already possesses. Um, they get to be under his lordship to bring him glory by their lives. Titus 2 um, isn't there, but but listen to Titus 2, 11 and 12. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires, to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in this present age. Verse 14, He gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession. Zealous for good deeds. God's sovereign hand is over his creation. Um, it's over the salvation of his people. It's over their lives um, as, as, they, as they do submit to him. And God's sovereignty is over circumstances too. Um, Genesis 50 is a pretty extreme example of circumstances being under God's sovereign control. Joseph's brothers tearing his clothes off, tossing him in a pit while they plotted to kill him before deciding that they would rather make money by selling him into slavery um, and then pretending that he had been eaten by a wild beast. <laughs> that's, that's the background for this statement. Um, but Joseph in the, in the rearview mirror is able to say in verse 19 of, of Genesis 50 to his brothers, Do not be afraid, for am I in God's place? God is the one who judges. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it. What is the it referring back to? Actually, the the evil that they meant against him. God meant it that for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive as for you you meant evil against me but god meant it for good and and god saved israel he saved all of israel's descendants and and was faithful to keep his promises he also saved many in the nations around egypt and in egypt God is sovereign over circumstances. Isaiah 45, five through seven says, I am Yahweh, and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. I will gird you, though you have not known me, that they, that men may know from the rising to the setting of the sun that there is no one besides me. I am Yahweh, and there is no other. The one forming light and creating darkness. Causing well-being and creating calamity. I am Yahweh who does all these things. God is sovereign over circumstances. The, the word for well-being there is blessing. Um, and the word for creating calamity, the word for calamity, calamity is ra. It's, it's actually bad bad circumstances circumstances that seem bad or seem hard from from our perspective god is in control of everything i am yahweh who does all of these god is sovereign over circumstances the the favorite saying of matthew and the other gospel accounts is this was to fulfill Um, And and we see God's sovereignty over circumstances over and over and over again in Matthew, Luke, and John specifically, especially. This this phrase, this was to fulfill what was written. God's word, Jesus' words, were all fulfilled. Down to the minute, literal details. The preparation, his coming, his birthplace, his childhood, his ministry, his triumphal entry his rejection, even even on the cross, men casting lots for his clothes, not breaking any bones, not allowing his Holy One to see decay, but raising him up. Everything was fulfilled. It was all accomplished. God is sovereign over circumstances. He exercises his rule over minute details uh, of circumstances that, that might seem random to us from our perspective. Acts 13:29 says when, similarly, when they had carried out all that was written concerning him, they took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb. God is sovereign over circumstances. And, and lastly, God is sovereign over all things. Um, Okay, some might say. Okay, we know that God could control anything. He could, and and maybe he even has, stepped in and moved the hearts of men. Um, He could, and he has, controlled nature and events and circumstances. But that is different from saying that he always does exercise his sovereignty. Does he always hold all things under his rule? Um, listen to Psalm one hundred three nineteen. Yahweh has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. His kingdom rules over all. Psalm 115, verse 3 says, 1 through 3 actually says, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory because of your loving kindness, because of your truth. Why should the nations say, where now is their God? But our God is in the heavens and he does whatever he pleases. Our, our God is in the heavens and he does whatever he pleases. Psalm 135, 6, um, that, that passage says, for I know that the Lord is great and that our Lord is above all gods. Whatever Yahweh pleases, whatever Yahweh pleases, he does in heaven and in earth, in the seas and in all the deeps. He causes the vapors to ascend from the ends of the earth. He makes lightnings for the rain who brings forth the wind from his treasuries. He smote the firstborn of Egypt both of man and beast. He sent signs and wonders into your midst, O Egypt, upon Pharaoh and all his servants. God reminds his people through the psalmist here in Psalm 135 that his sovereignty is over all. And and that didn't mean that things just happened. No, he he was active in his sovereignty and he was over all. He exercised rule over all of his creation. And he was especially active he draws attention to in in the saving of his people Israel from Egypt God is sovereign over all things Isaiah 46 says remember this and be assured recall it to mind you transgressors remember the former things long past for I am God and there is no other I am God and there is no one like me what is what is he doing declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things which have not been done, saying, my purpose will be established. Whatever God pleases, he does. And I will accomplish all my good pleasure, calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my purpose from a far country. Truly I have spoken, truly I will bring it to pass. I have planned it, surely I will do it. Um, and, and there he's talking about the judgment of his people for their, their rebellion against him. God does as he pleases. Um, Romans 8, 26 through 30. Um, we don't even know how to pray as we should, but, but God does. God knows our every need, um, and he actually will work all things for glory through conformity to him. In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts and knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God he also glorified God is sovereign over circumstances and, and he's actually sovereign over all things working all things ultimately towards his good glory um, and, and in this passage his glory is, is actually accomplished through his salvation of his people and their being conformed into the image of his son that's amazing there, there are, are so many implications of God's rule. Um, this quote here by, by Spurgeon says, There is no attribute more comforting to his children than that of God's sovereignty. Under the most adverse circumstances, in the most severe trials, they believe that sovereignty has ordained their afflictions. That sovereignty overrules them that sovereignty will sanctify them all. There is nothing for which the children ought more earnestly to contend than the doctrine of their master over all creation, the kingship of God over all the works of his own hands, the throne of God, and his right to sit upon that throne, Spurgeon says. So let's just... Think really quickly about some implications on on these different areas that I have listed out. Um, you, I'm sure you can think of, of many more areas that, that this truth applies, and it'd be great to talk about those in the discussion groups here in just a minute. Um, think about human accountability and, responsib- and responsibility. If God, God is sovereign, and, and we just saw that he is, over people even. If God is working everything towards his glory, how could I be guilty of sin? Some might say. Wasn't sin the instrument of God's glory? Um, Romans 6 asks and answers that question. Um, if, if that's a question that you have, that, that you're struggling with um, as, as you hear about this, or as you've thought about it in the past, I, I would encourage you, go to Romans six and, and read what Paul has to say about this. Um, God is sovereign, so he is the judge, like we just talked about a minute ago. Um, and he is a good judge. God God is glorified by giving grace to the sinner. And he's also glorified by opposing the proud, by righting wrong. God is judge. Um, and, and he can be judge because he's sovereign. Um, how, how do human accountability and responsibility exist with divine sovereignty? They do, because God says so. Um, and, and he's in charge. Evangelism. Why should we evangelize if God is sovereign over salvation? Because he's sovereign, we can and we must share the gospel. That's what scripture says. How could men be saved if he wasn't sovereign? Um, Romans 3.10 says, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Um, just like Josh laid out last week in Philippians, um, the unbeliever is in a desperate, hopeless place apart from God. But God has chosen to save sinners who believe, um, and he's, he's let us participate in this. The disciples, the church, was commanded to go, therefore, making disciples. And we were promised that a people from every tribe and nation and tongue and family would be worshiping Christ in heaven. Every family would be blessed. What? How does evangelism exist with God's sovereignty? It, it exists because God is sovereign and he changes hearts and he saves his people. Um, and he's desired to do that through the, the teaching of, of his truth. Prayer. If he is sovereign, why should we pray? You can pray because the sovereign one cares. Um, the sovereign one who rules over everything desires to hear your prayer. He desires to provide for your every need, believer. He has prescribed prayer. He's commanded it. And he's chosen to use prayer. So pray because the one who can do whatever he pleases desires your prayer. He desires you to seek him, um, to call out to him. So call out to him. We can pray because God is sovereign. Um, rejoicing in suffering. When when God gives you good things, when you enjoy anything, rejoice. Um, when his sovereignty lets you see a sunset, hug a loved one, enjoy a good meal, take another breath, um, hear a funny dad joke, just just be thankful. The good God who made the heavens and the earth gives good things. Honor him in how you respond to those things in worship. Um, and while that is true, God gives good things over and over and over again. Um, hard is also a reality. Uh, sorrow, pain, death, these are things that, that we find all over the place under the sun. Remember that God has not abdicated his throne. He isn't taking the day off. He isn't sleeping he knows your sorrows. Uh, believer, remember how well acquainted Jesus is with grief and sorrow and pain. First uh, Corinthians ten thirteen it is so comforting. In God's sovereignty, no temptation has overtaken you, but that which is common to man. And God is faithful. He who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. That is is such a comfort for for believers. God's sovereignty is over everything. And and he has given you the means to endure, um, to bring glory to him. And to bring you to bring you safely home ultimately romans 8 tells us that it whatever it is it leads his people to his glory through our conformity to him the hardship the trial whatever it is leads you believer to god's glory through conformity to him. JC Ryle says, there is no commentary that opens up the Bible so much as sickness and sorrow. And and it drives us to to depend upon the Lord, to trust in him. Um when when we are suffering, when we are going through trials, we we feel our weakness, right? And and God is glorified as his people trust in him and he provides everything that they need, um, even in that moment of hardship. Past, present, future circumstances, everything is under the authority, the rule of our Lord. So we should seek to be faithful today. Today's the day that we're given to be faithful. Trust him with whatever today brings. Um, Don't be anxious about tomorrow. God knows what you need before you ask him, and he desires you to ask him. Seek him in prayer, um, and he desires you, believer, to seek the kingdom, to seek his righteousness, as you seek to just be faithful today. Let's let's pray, and then we'll break up and spend time in groups. Lord God, you are good. Lord, um, and we are so thankful for your sovereignty that rules over everything that that is actually d- directed for our care, um, for it's directed towards um, our good. God, we are, are so thankful for your grace, Lord, that you would save any is amazing. Lord, that you would show compassion, that you would show favor, unearned favor um, to sinners who, who do deserve your wrath because we were against you. We were dead in our trespasses and that, that didn't mean we were inactive, but we were actually willfully ignorant. Lord, we were bending our wills <laughs> against you, um, seeking our own glory and you saved sinners. Lord, you still save sinners. Um, God, we are so thankful for your kindness to us and we, we pray that you would be glorified in our lives as we um, seek to honor you with today. Lord, help help these truths um, to just be an encouragement to us as, as we step into life under the sun again as, as we leave this place, Lord, even as as I'm sure there, there are many trials, um, sicknesses, sorrows, on our on our minds right now, Lord. Um, help your people to trust in this truth about you that you are over all things, and that you are working all things um, ultimately for your glory. God, I I pray that we would live for your glory in Christ's name. Amen.